0: you or anyone you know is experiencing abuse, domestic violence, suicidal thoughts, or sexual assault, there are numbers you can call and even text. Many of these are now staffed not just by regular volunteers, but also by mental health professionals. One of the numbers you can call or text is 988. That's a suicide and crisis lifeline. You can also find them at 988lifeline.org, where they also have an internal chat feature if you don't want to use the phone. For young people of the LGBTQ community, there's the Trevor Project. They have a phone number, 1-866-488-7386. You can also text them at 678-678. There's a chat link outside their website at thetrevorproject.org. And for trans support provided by those that are trans themselves, Trans for Trans Peer Run System, you can look at translifeline.org. You can find them at 1-877-565-8860. It can be difficult to seek out help sometimes. It also... Just like things we tell ourselves and lie to ourselves feel like somebody else has it worse, but you need to know that if you or someone else is in immediate danger, you need to call 911 or your local country's emergency line, or go to an emergency room if some type of danger has already happened. If these situations occur, it's important that you explain to them this is a psychiatric emergency and ask for somebody trained to deal with these types of situations and crisis. There have been many situations in the United States in the last few years that have made the news, where somebody in a mental health crisis ended up in a very bad situation, sometimes even shot and killed by law enforcement officers because that's the way the situation unfolded. And if they simply had site services available, that may have turned out differently. So the process has gotten a lot easier, but getting any kind of help for mental health or domestic abuse can feel very difficult. Calling a hotline can be intimidating, but that's why we now have mental health counselors and other people that volunteer. And here's the thing, too. It doesn't need to be suicide. It also it doesn't need to be you. You can call for help to any of these numbers if you are experiencing or having somebody in your life with these situations to get help. And here's the thing. What they do nowadays, if they can't help you directly, they will definitely get you to somebody who can or steer you into the right direction of the person you can talk to. Other hotlines include a call or a text line where you can text HOME at 741-741. You can also contact the Veterans Crisis Line for the veterans out there, 1-800-273-8255 not to mention places like military one source and each service also has dedicated professionals counselors clinics and their own hotlines my last minute thought before i did this and by last minute i mean probably the last 3 or 4 hours was one of the things i think that comes along with this is procrastination Because I've been procrastinating the hell out of doing this. It has been such a big deal to me that I went from trying to figure out what I was overthinking into realizing how much it would affect me and then potentially how important this could be, I suppose, if it was to spread around to enough people. It's unlikely. But I do ask that if you think this is useful information, will help somebody you share it with them. It's about helping them. And I think that will be a good thing to get this information out. The reason I taught it the way I did is understanding PTSD we often associate with the military. It's not only the military. There's plenty of people with PTSD for other reasons. And I don't think I coined the phrase sad. I was just thinking about the main things we're talking about are stressing, anxiety, and depression. And I'm going to use my own experiences and talk about myself and use some other similar experiences. A lot of it's focused on the military, but it's for anybody who's experiencing any of these things, clinical disorder or not. And understanding the reason why I did this, as I mentioned on a previous episode, was... A guy who wrote me was a veteran who I think deleted his account and I hope he's still out there. Cause I feel really bad about it. That I should have responded. That I didn't prioritize it. But words to the effect of wanting to know how I deal with it or how I got through it. Something along those lines. And so I had to put a lot of thought in this, deciding how I'm gonna talk about it without talking too much about myself, things I don't like to do or don't want to share, and looking at the few, very very single digit few. Things I have seen veterans have done that I think are worthwhile and helpful to everybody and not assholish in nature. I did get a little upset and a little angry at somebody that I don't know that did something like this recently that should be ashamed of themselves. And I do seriously mean should have their ass kicked. Things to understand about this, especially mental health, is it's not caused by laziness. Telling people they're lazy or to just stop being lazy means you're an asshole. That's all it is. A guy put a video out and that's, he just browbeat people being an asshole. Oh, you're lazy. Stop being, that doesn't fix anything. Laziness doesn't cause stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, or any of these disorders. Laziness or what you think is laziness could be a result of these things. Because you got to remember when it's especially when it's clinical, when it's a diagnosis, it can come to the point where you can't move. You can't do anything. You're that overwhelmed. There's so many other, and I've been there. And I understand what it's like. It's no different than when migraines. A lot of people think they have migraines and they don't. They have tension headaches or other things. Migraines can make you sick, make you want to cry, huddle in the closet on the floor, be immobile. They can be very, very terrible. And so can any of these situations. Stress, anxiety, depression not dealt with can become a clinical diagnosis or disorder. It can become PTSD. It may already be PTSD. We don't know. But what this individual did was really tell us about themselves. And so when somebody says something like this to you, because I'm kind of angry right now, if somebody says this to you, you need to realize they're talking about themselves. They're not talking to you. They're definitely not helping you. And they shouldn't be trying to provide mental health support. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, I don't do this for a living. I don't provide this type of stuff. Take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, because I'm telling you right now, everything from here on out is going to be my opinion. There are things I'm going to say and probably phrase like, I understand. That doesn't mean I understand because I studied it. It means... I went and talked to people or got counseling or whatever. And through that process was put it into a way that I could understand it. So when I say I understand this, this way, that's what I'm saying. And this is all my opinion. And mostly going to be talking about myself because I have seen so many of these things and talked to so many people. I realize there's so many similarities between us for the military, so many similarities from people that have this military, not, but also so many differences because we're all different. But the most important thing is to note especially when, because I'm going to beat this horse to death with this guy, but the laziness thing, number one, it's not your fault. Do understand that. When we talk about things like what I'd call minor, again, my opinion, minor versions of stress, anxiety, and depression. I'm a little anxious because all these people are coming over for this holiday gathering, and I haven't done it in a while, and I'm not sure if I have everything, so I'm feeling a little anxious. I'm feeling a little stressed because, I need to pay to buy all this stuff for this party, and I'm not sure I can cover it. I'm feeling a little depressed. I'm feeling a little depressed because we had this party, whatever. I didn't get a lot of thank yous, a lot of help. And any other minor scenario could put into it. Those things aren't clinical or diagnosed mental health issues, but they are very real and not dealt with or worked through properly can become very bad. Whereas post-traumatic stress you know, clinical depression, certain anxiety disorders can be things that require treatment and counseling and therapy, sometimes even medications, depending on the individual. But it's understand that they're all different. And laziness can't cause them. And it's not your fault. That's the other thing, too. It's not your fault that you feel that way. It's not your fault things happen to you. And you might say, well, maybe it didn't happen to me. Maybe I did something. That's possible, I suppose. Again, not, not a psychiatrist, but I'm going to tell you one of the things I did was I looked at like being in war. I got several deployments to the Middle East and North Africa. I did everything from the combat side. I did stuff on the Intel side. My first deployment, there was a couple IDs. I think I shot one dude or something, nothing major, some fucked up shit happened, got a Lieutenant fired, got a promotion, whatever. Later on on another one is when the real game playing started. This is where I was being a warfighter. Got mortared, got IED, got RPG shot at me, shot and killed some people. Okay. So it's easy to say, okay, an IED blew up, mortar came in, that happened to you. It's also easy to say that when you're in a gunfight and you kill people that you did that. And I know that I did that. And I've never actually had a problem with that. But... My understanding of it is and the way I look at it is yes, I pulled the trigger and killed that dude, and I killed that dude or whatever. But the war happened to me. It happened to a lot of people. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just a way that I look at it that helped me understand things that I'm going to get into later about working through this process. But when we go back to this saying about the laziness, here's why it tells us about this individual. A few things it tells us. Number one, and it's funny, this first one's kind of funny, it's ironic. It is the typical, and the, for the military people will understand this, it's the typical sergeant major get-off-my-grass attitude. I control the world. I'm right. You're wrong. It's stupid. And the thing is, is that is a toxin now in the military because I can tell you right now, military listeners out there, you'll back me up on this, and if you won't, it means you need to get in touch with reality. One of the biggest reasons why enlisted soldiers don't stay in and they definitely get out quicker is because of the sergeant major corps. They're a bunch of idiots. They drive people away. They try to hang on to this idea of an old world mentality they were actually never part of. They were junior at the time. And most of them are holding that position when they don't even deserve to be E7s. They don't have the emotional maturity. They don't have the leadership experience. They don't have the standards met that existed a while ago. They were promoted through attrition. They won't admit it. And they shouldn't have it. And because of that, which is a big military problem, those individuals are actually driving people away. But this guy has that attitude. So here's the things it tells us. Number one, it tells us, and for those of you who wrote me about this guy, that's why I'm talking about it. You can go back and see stuff where he's talked about his situation, getting out of the military, he'd gotten divorced in this apartment, he just had a mattress on the floor, he's drinking, he's having all these issues. Uh, and, and he thinks he says in his mind to him he was being lazy because he used to be in this guy, he did all this stuff and he was really active. He's in the military, but that all changed. It was the transition that he wasn't prepared for, which isn't his fault. And things like stress, anxiety, and depression were there. Maybe even PTSD. And f- using his phrasing, he got off his ass and like went working out and moved on, started a company, did all these things, right? But here's what it tells us. He saw that as laziness, which is wrong. He didn't get the proper help for it. He tried to do it on his own. He feels like he's made this accomplishment because he did it on own, when, in fact, he's hurting himself. So there's one. Another thing is that he still hasn't dealt with it properly, which is why he got all emotional and upset about it. That's number two. Number three, telling you it's you being lazy. It's because he's insecure in the same way that he brags about things he shouldn't brag about and doesn't admit his failures and he's insecure. He needs to feed that to feel better. It's a human nature. We all do it to some degree. Another thing it tells us is that he's projecting because he saw certain things and decided they were laziness. And he didn't deal with them in a healthy manner. So, therefore, when he hears about or sees it with other people, full well knowing, right? Full well knowing that it's dangerous territory, that people die over this and take their own lives, projects onto them the being lazy and browbeats them and says, you know, here's what you're doing. You can fix this. No, you fucking can't. Some people can. There's a reason why we have trained professionals. There's a reason why we have medication because some people need it. There's a reason why we have counseling. There's a reason why we have family, we have friends, where we have these hotlines. Sometimes it's just too much. And when it's clinical, when it's a diagnosis, it can be too much. I'm saying all that to help people out there and to let you know that there's at least someone that gets it that's willing to say that stuff that is is experiencing it. Not has, is. I experience that stuff. I know what it's like trying to talk to family or trying not to talk, and they want to talk. And no matter how little you tell them, because sometimes you tell them a lot and you think it's your fault, they just look at you and treat you like you're broken all the time. And it doesn't matter what you say or how you say it. That's just, once that door's open, that's how they are. But again, that's them. That's not you. You're not that, they don't decide your value. You aren't broken, okay? There might be something you want to have altered, fixed, corrected, or adjusted that might be a mental health issue, but you're not broken. That's how they choose to see the world and see people. It's not about you, it's about them. You got to remember that. Don't let other people's view of you tear you down too much because the fact of the matter is they don't get to determine your value, you do. It's like I used to tell people when I talk about relationships, I talk to guys and talk about being in the friend zone and you know why you're there and how to get out of it. And the easiest way to get out of the friend zone is to stop being friends with them and move on because if you want something more and they don't, move on. Don't even waste your time there. But it was to understand that that woman doesn't determine your value as a person. And neither do these family members or friends. Some of these people, as loving and supporting they are, don't understand the stuff or know how to talk about it. I get more support and help from my buddies that were in the military than I do from anybody else. And that includes professionals I've seen and even paid money to see. I've learned some great things from professionals. But I've gotten more help from my buddies and my friends because they know how to Listen. Okay, And listening isn't just listening and all active listening and all these other things we talk about here other people do. It's also about the fact of a shared experience. And it might be the exact shared experience. You can watch these videos of veterans talking on YouTube or whatever, a lot of special operations guys talking. And if you've got military experience and you've got experience with some of these traumatic issues or been in similar situations they have that they talk about, you can see if anybody stands out, doesn't quite have the same experience, or has something different. Nothing wrong with any of that, but you can see it sometimes, whereas other people can't. And it's really weird, and it's just part of life. But just know there's somebody out there that does care and can see the difference. And right now I'm procrastinating saying all this stuff because I'm trying to avoid talking about myself. So I'm not going to go through like childhood and all that. I'll just tell you about things that happened to me focused mainly on the military. And how I thought about them at the time and what I learned about them later. And some will seem very common and minor and then they'll progress into probably other things. But I started out wanting to be all the things everybody did who went in the infantry. You know, I wanted my ranger tab. I wanted to be a Green Beret. You know, I wanted to do other bigger, batter things. I thought that was the best thing to do in the world because it really is. I wanted to do a bunch of things like that. And then... The first thing I learned before I left Georgia was that the army was going to disappoint me. I say that because when they told me I was going to Hawaii for three years, I was extremely disappointed. A paradise island in the South Pacific that people sometimes save up their whole life to go to with all kinds of wonderful things. And I was disappointed. And why was that? Because I had orders to go to Panama and I heard about all the training and stuff there, which I've learned later was all true the things they do in Panama, what they're doing. I really wanted to go get these other opportunities. In fact, even through the time when I was looking at going the special forces route, everything I wanted to do was Central and South America. I don't even know why. I don't think I knew why then, but that was my focus. Maybe I just focused later because I wanted to go there for Panama. And I was disappointed to the part I was a little depressed. And that wasn't a big deal. You know, whatever, I'm going to Hawaii. I was getting married to the love of my life. I go to Hawaii. The place is fucking awesome. Can't wait to get my wife over there. We trained all the time, had a good time, loved it. And then tried to stay because I got asked to stay, but I had to go to Fort Lewis, now JBLM, because they're standing up the strike brigades. You couldn't get out of those orders as an enlisted guy unless you had a tab and were going into the regiment. So I wasn't a tabbed corporal going into the regiment. Actually, sergeant, because I got promoted right before I left. And so I had to come to Fort Lewis, and then it was depressing for a long time and frustrating because I showed up to the second what well, was Second strike Brigade, what was called at the time. Just changed names a couple times. We had more sergeants than soldiers. The training room guy was sitting on a milk crate. Uh, they like pulled two really really old computers out of Hawk and got them running just so the somebody other than the commander can have computers because first sergeant training room guy needs them. Found out they're bringing in a lot of Met guys because uh, we we're going to be dealing with vehicles. There's very few light infantry or airborne dudes. You know, I, I didn't understand how we made fun of everybody and why we did. But like Met guys, you know, can't get 15 feet from a vehicle or they don't know what to do. But saw that their dismounted tactics were they they didn't. They did everything with the vehicles when they didn't have the vehicle. Like we do training where we do this training in the infantry and in light infantry, six hour evaluation for a squad two hours to plan four hours to execute whole kind of steps involved that exact same qualification certification around the met guys the entire process including briefing everything they were going to do they're going to write up the plans do all the stuff start walking when she almost did a VLE, took like an hour or two like an hour and they only walked actually it was less than an hour and i think they only walked 100 yards we walked like kilometers and it was a stupid pointless not to trash any of my guys out there, I'm just saying. It was real frustrating. Anyway, a few years go by, get promoted, deploy. Watch some platoon sergeants, peels get fired, become a platoon sergeant. above my pay grade at the time, get some jobs, head favorite people, yada, yada, move on, get injured, wanted to be a drill sergeant, couldn't be a drill sergeant. I've told that story before. So a lot of things happen, but we get to the point where things are really digging in. Like, I'm not in a dark place yet, but I'm drinking a lot. I call myself a professional drinker. I I say that now when I describe it. There's people I've told the amount of alcohol I drank that didn't believe me. Still don't believe me when I tell them. But drinking most of a fifth of vodka or whiskey a day or three bottles of red wine or case and a half, not a case and a half, 18 beers because the case is 24. There's times when I'd go home and drink, I don't know, six, eight beers, bottle of wine, most of a bottle of wine. Actual, legit shots of one ounce, because I was pouring like doubles. I was probably drinking six to eight ounces of hard liquor, so that I could go out and spend hundreds of dollars in a bar on alcohol. It actually got to the point that I had forced, I'm not going to explain why, but I was forced to stop drinking. I was like, thank God, finally, because I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't figure I understand now what it's like to be in that place where you can't do it. You don't, it doesn't matter what you want. You can't just do it. It's like saying you're lazy. It's just as bad. Oh, just stop. It doesn't work that way, Jack. It's an addiction. It's chemical. It's in your brain. There's, there's no like willpower for it. You have to be forced. I mean, even if you do it yourself, you're still somewhat putting yourself in a forced situation where you can't access it. But it was, it was bad. And I learned a lot of things about myself. For one, sometimes after this happened, because I had, at the time I had a house, I was making payments on, I was trying to sell. I had a house I was renting in a whole other state, a shit ton of bills. I had two cars I was paying for because I'd been divorced for a few years and I got everything, which seemed like a victory at the time until you're paying for it. And then I would hope to have five to fifteen dollars extra a month literally as a senior non-commissioned officer making several thousand dollars, I was all of it just to cover expenses, eating as cheaply as possible, hoping to have five to fifteen dollars a month so I could do something fun once a month like maybe go see a movie because I wasn't drinking anymore something like that or maybe I could go to get you know a drive-through coffee or go get some ice cream something. You know, rent a movie, whatever. And I had a lot of money in my bank account, like thousands of dollars in my bank account. I couldn't figure out why. I called my bank, made all kinds of complaints. This takes several days till I finally get a call from somebody and they explained to me. They went through all my records and said, I'm going to guess you stopped drinking right about this time. I'm like, how the hell do you know that? And it's because they went through and saw all these transactions that were bars. They looked up, they knew there were bars, They were liquor stores. And then it just stopped. And explained to me how much money I was spending And the crazy thing was it was great to have the money, but I never paid attention to that. I just thought about how much alcohol I was actually consuming. Now, I want to be clear. That's just one thing, and it's a very common thing. There's other things I was doing. And what I learned was I was self-medicating with alcohol. I learned that the way it was phrased to me and the way I understood it was, there's a lot of people that drink too much, whatever degree that is, alcoholic or not, and because of that, certain problems arise in their life. Whereas I had problems in my life, many of them, and I was drinking in order to avoid things like the depression, the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the isolation, the shame, whatever it was, and I was drinking a lot. Now I still have drinks every once in a while, it's pretty rare, and it's very easy for me to drink a lot, but not like I was. Like I, if I drink for a few days, all of a sudden I can put it down, but I can go drink a couple of light beers and feel like I looked an ashtray in the morning and not like it. So I typically I get like one drink when I do it. There's occasions when I'm around friends who have drinks, we'll I have a few, but nothing like I did. So anyway, that was the first thing I learned about self-medication and what I was doing there, which made me even more leery about medications I was starting and about to go on because I was in the process of medically retiring, realizing what I was on, not wanting to mix it with alcohol, of course, not mixing with alcohol now because I didn't, I actually didn't touch a drop for a couple of years. And realizing I didn't want certain, t- I got opiates. I never had an opiate issue because I wouldn't take them. You know, I they offer me like Percocet or something. It's got to be really bad. I don't like how it makes my head feel. I don't like that. I liked alcohol, but I didn't like the stuff with the drugs. I've tried like marijuana, all kinds of forms of it, but no, not for me. But during this process, I had to look back to realize there was other things too. Going back to family and the way they were looking at me was you're broken. Or better yet, you should be broken. You should feel bad. These are the messages we're receiving. we receive receiving from television. We're receiving from website. We're receiving from these assholes that do YouTube shows that tell you you're lazy. The messages we're sending is it's your fault. You're wrong. You can fix this. It's all bad because you're not doing it. Now, the difference for me was I... I didn't hear that like a lot of people do and go, oh yeah, you're right. No, I was like, no, "That I don't think so, Jack. It's not my, no. But then after a while, they started to convince me. I was like, well, something is wrong with me. That's what I decided. I said something was wrong with me because I didn't feel that way. And that went on for years until I finally walked into somebody's office one day. And I could tell you, I had clearances. I worked with several intelligence agencies, clearances, I was... Okay, it wasn't like you're risking your secret or your top secret. Maybe you got a little, you go watch the Keyhole Satellite video or whatever and get a, you know, SCI. It wasn't that. There was plenty of stuff there. I wasn't willing to risk. Should have in retrospect, but I wasn't willing to risk it. because I thought I had a future and a career ahead, but I didn't realize how fucked up I was physically, let alone mentally, that I had to deal with. It took a few years before I got back into the community working. So I was going to risk it, but when the time came that that stuff was going to go away, at least temporarily, to where they couldn't really damage me because I was medically retiring, I walked in the office and had the conversation. And I went and saw this lady for several weeks, actually several months until I retired and learned probably the most valuable thing for me. And by this, I mean, it's very specific to me. I'm sure it's probably happened to other people. Never heard of it, but I'm sure it has. This was unique for me was my problem that I was having was I felt bad that I did not feel bad for things everybody was telling me I should feel bad about. I felt bad that I didn't feel bad. And then I learned about things like hypervisualism, stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, how these different things works. I took a lot of the tests, had a lot of the conversations. I put the work in, I did the homework. It was mostly fairly simple. I was in a place where they're dealing with a lot of people are being processed out. Mental health has become a big issue now this is back in the time frame when we started really talking about and recognizing and admitting publicly, at least in the military, the amount of suicides and situations and assaults that were happening. They were really trying. And the people that were there were civilians. These weren't military. In fact, they weren't ever military, which made it even better. And it was very helpful for me. And I thought that was all I needed. And then I thought I was good because I had this revelation. I didn't understand that there could be maintenance. I realized there's people that can... I don't want to say cure, but can overcome things like this, whatever level they're at. And then they're good forever. And then some people have to overcome them every day or every week or every month. And it sounds like it's a struggle, but once you're there, it's not really a struggle, it's just something you do. It's like, I don't think taking a shower is struggle it's just something you do as a regular, normal, healthy maintenance. There's things I have to do for mental health maintenance that are regular, normal, and healthy. So it just depends on the individual. But once you get to that point, you realize it's not a pain in the ass. It's like you look at it the way a little kid looks at a lot of things. It's this big challenge. It sucks. I don't want to do it. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. But then once they're in the routine of doing it, realize, oh, it's not that bad. But then time goes by and I've got like, gosh, three months of leave. All this extra pay coming, which was good because it took me a while to file my VA claim. In fact, up to the last day. And that was because when you do the PTSD portion, you fill out these forms and talk about things you saw, how much you think about them, what it was. You have to put down all this unit information, you know, so they can verify it all. And I had to told to redo it a few times. I just didn't want to turn it in. And I didn't even write down as many of them as I could because it was stuff I just didn't want to talk about. Because there's plenty I talk about, but I talk about plenty of things to avoid talking about other things and to kind of deflect from the idea there's other things there because there's very few people I can talk to those things about that won't look at me different. Just reality. That's what I deal with. So I end up one of the many times I'm at a VA in Tucson and just losing my shit. Like I've ran out of meds. I can't get meds. I've submitted paperwork. I've enrolled in the hospital, but I haven't been evaluated to have a doctor yet because they're so backed up. That's going on in like three months. I was seeing that mental health lady and then also a psychiatrist and I was on medication that was helping me. I took medication for a while, was helping me. I was out. I was like a bumbling idiot. And as much as a lot of people in VA are worthless, I was running into one or two really great people. And there was this lady there who helped me. Gosh, I think she helped me with like the website and how to get an account so I could start learning about stuff. Very like simple job. And she gave me her number to call if I had a problem, so I called her. And I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have that number. I don't know how my day would have played out, but I called her. and She answered the phone. I told her what was going on. She kept talking to me because it was her cell phone, and she walked out of the hospital and found me, and she walked with me the rest of that day and got me through everything I needed to get through. Then she took me back up to a place and found out later, after she took me to this place, she was chewing somebody's ass out for not telling me. She took me to a clinic that had a special, a, a clinic within a clinic, for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans who were processing in, who didn't have meds, hadn't been evaluated yet, or hadn't been in process yet. Sat us down, pulled my records, pulled my Miller stuff, went over and just gave me everything I needed. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. And it was great. Probably saved my life, I don't know. I don't think it was suicidal or anything like that. It was was a dark day. It was my first really dark day. It wasn't my only one. The next really dark day came maybe a year and a half later when my sister died, two years later, well after she died, taking care of the former house my mom lived in, my sister was gone, other internal issues with other people, it just got really bad. And then I went to take care of dude's house for a while and that's when I got my dog, Sadie, who I say saved my life because I was probably clinically depressed for a long time. Depression is what I lived with the longest. Um, stress is always there for me But anxiety is the other thing And anxiety I think is what a lot of people run into So here's some things I did Talking to the veterans out there Some things I did Because things just aren't normal in the real world Things you don't like, you don't want to deal with I had a hard time for a long time And some of this I started doing 15 years ago And I was still in the military Before I knew I was getting out Some of it I, I still do today Some I don't do today But I didn't like being closed in and not having exit points, not being able to see a clear pathway or make one. That made grocery stores very difficult. So in the town I was living at the time, that Walmart grocery was different than all the other grocery stores. I hate Walmart grocery almost anywhere I go. In that town, it was the most expensive. They had the stuff sucked. Their bakery sucked. Meat was terrible. Vegetables were terrible. You know, they had some decent canned cheap stuff, but... I spent the money to go there. And the reason why was their aisles were like three times the width of a regular grocery store. like a regular grocery store, like five, like six feet wide or something like those aisles. They must've been like 12 feet. They're massive. Like three carts could go down there side by side easily. And the spaces in between the aisles end to end were 20 feet or something. I mean, it was massive. But then they were open 24 seven. So I would go to bed, you know, at like eight or whatever. I'd get up at like one thirty two in the morning. Actually I'd go I'd get up at two, so I got there. I'd usually take a shower or something. So I ended up in there by three, two thirty or three, whatever, long after drunk people be around. Almost nobody in there, too. Go through, no stress, no anxiety, buy my stuff, go home, take a nap, get up, go to work. It was great. I did things like that. I started learning about when I got out of the military how great it was to be used to getting up early. 'Cause I still didn't like being around people. I still don't like having too many people around. I didn't like large crowds. I still don't sometimes. But back then it could be a much smaller version of a large crowd. Finding out how early a lot of places open, and then if you go there on non holiday and non weekday and on weekends, like on weekdays, and you can easily learn people's patterns of when they're full, you can show up to a whatever type store at eight AM, realize nobody's in there, and get all your business done rather quickly. Not a lot of stuff in the parking lot. Not a lot of things going on. Not a lot of things to pay attention to. It brought my anxiety way down. And I learned this from a a counselor. Part of it was finding ways to mitigate. What can I do to alter my, can I alter my environment or can I alter when I spend time in that environment? And so these situations all altered when I spent time in those environments. And it helped me. Another thing I did was force myself to watch things videos, movies, stuff that bothered me or triggered me in a safe environment at my house when I wasn't drinking. I did this on my own. I was told it was a bad idea. So all I did was I'd watch something, and the second I started feeling anything, usually it was anxiety or stress, I'd shut off, that was it. And I did this over a process of actually years, not even months, years, because it might affect me for several days, a couple of weeks, three weeks, a month. Time would go by, I forget about it. It'd been three months, I'd go back and do it again. So initially I would be doing it for like five minutes. It might be three months before I do it again. But it got to the point where I could watch this. I still have reactions sometimes to things. And it's not, don't think it's always violence, it's not that. But I, I did it on my own, it took several years, and I got to that point where I could handle it. I also had to learn how to say no to people, especially family, and to stand my ground. Because we all act differently and follow certain things around family members that we don't necessarily do everywhere else and it's for as much as I'll stand my ground I never really did it much with certain people in my family and I had to I had to for safety and protection and sanity and it took way too long in my life that was one of the things that took way too long in my life to start doing because I went to the point of just trying to make things amenable and I realized how bad that was for me. And I had to, it was to the point where I realized I needed to start thinking about myself. Because when I got through some of the stuff, realizing here are the things that cause it. I need to not be amenable to those things. I need to stop them before it causes this. And that's when I started learning that the way people see me, that's about them. It's not about me. What they think about me doesn't matter. I decide my own value by my own actions, my own behaviors. Nobody gets to force that on me or tell me what my value is. That's true for everybody. See, I hate, <laughs> I always hated the phrase journey. Like it's a journey. I thought that was some stupid hippie bullshit, but it is actually looking back. It's a journey. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a road trip. That's for sure. Journey is probably more accurate because how long it can take. And it's a journey. I hate this phrase too, but it's a journey of self-discovery. Not like I need to go backpack in Europe and discover myself. No, it's, you discover things about yourself you didn't know and discover that you can learn things and do new things that you never thought possible or didn't consider before because you weren't aware they were there. It's that kind of self-discovery. Till so you get to the point of like, I was using the shower example. I understand because I, I was there. I see, see why things are struggles. There's things now I look at and I think are struggles. I think are almost impossible. I can logically look at them and go, they're not, but emotionally I can't. Still happens sometimes a lot of these things for me will be there the rest of my life. Many of them I've, I've gotten past, but for the guy out there in the way, the way i cause it's just a feeling now, the way I feel you were communicating some of that stuff. There are things that are done, but there are many things that are still there. It's just, I'm at the point where for the I'd say for the most part, the vast majority it's, I, I think of it like hygiene. It's mental health hygiene. You know, there's things you can try. Like, So the VA offers counseling. The two ways they do counseling. One, you can do one-on-one. The other one, you can do group therapy. I never fucking do group therapy. I'm not even interested in it. I don't know these assholes. I've seen some of them before. They always want to play who's got the bigger dick or had the worst IED attack. They're in there because they're forced to be. They're just, they're not trying. They're little bitch. It just inter, interferes and interrupts me and in my process because I'm legit serious about it. I went to solo route. There's one person i had to choose to trust because they're being paid to trust that had legal requirements for trust and that's the person i'm talking to and dealing with and i did it over the short term it was beneficial there's like journaling and writing things you can do i thought that was the dumbest thing ever until i started doing it now people sell all kinds of journals you get for emotion journals your fitness journals all this other stuff a lot of it to me are just notepads it was kind of funny, because through this process I learned about more about paper and good paper and I buy notepads pads a good paper and I started using like fountain pens and learning how to write better and I haven't been writing a lot on my trip, but I had really good penmanship for a while, really nice fountain pens. It was kind of like the side hobby I picked up from it. I'd sit down and just start writing words to work on my penmanship. but through this journal thing, like I carried some of these with me, and some I hardly ever use some I use some I don't use them every day anymore, but like I have a journal where sometimes when I'm feeling really bad or really angry, or really sad. And I don't do this every time. There's no requirement to, but sometimes I pull a journal and just start writing everything I feel. There's some method for that. There's books designed. I don't care. I just start fucking writing. There's times I go back and look at it and I can't remember the last time I picked the book up. And when that happens, I go back and read something in there and I'm like, this is crazy. Because I see the date. Like, that wasn't that long ago. This is crazy that I thought that. But it's helpful. It shows me the way I interpret it is where I've come. And yeah, the whole idea of writing it and getting things out—that actually works. It doesn't work every time. I'm telling you that right now. Not for me. I think I've just instinctively learned when it's going to help. There's journals I've done. Like there's this one I like. I don't use it every day because if I did, it'd be super expensive because they're like thirty-five bucks and they're only good for like three months if you do that. But if you look it up online, it's called—I think it's called the Five-Minute Journal. It's—it's it's this idea where you so you put a date at the top. It's got like two or three things you fill out like things you want to do today, you know, what would make today real special, important. I don't know, something simple to work for me. And then and then at the end of the day, you're supposed to come back and you write down like what stuff you got done. What could you, not really what could you have done better because that could sound like a negative, but it was, anyway, it was real simple. This thing's called the five minute journal, but uh, check that out. That might be for you. You can look at any of them, but I really love that thing. I, I would have gone through a 10 of those things by now. I think I've gone through two or I'm on my second one. I actually got my mom one, but she doesn't use it. But, and that's fair. I mean, it was the best thing for me, so it was the best I, I knew. But for, for me, it was great. There might be one out there for you, or you might just write stuff down. It's the same therapeutic ideas, like people say, like if somebody dies, or you break up with somebody, get divorced, whatever, that you write this letter of everything you're feeling, anger, hate, whatever it is, and then you, like, throw it away or you burn it. Like, you don't ever give it to them, especially if they're still alive. That, that can work. I did it once, and it actually worked. I did it 10 or 12 other times. It didn't work don't think these are going to work all the time. Some of those things were helpful. I prefer the one-on-one experience. I don't prefer the group thing. There are more things I share now than I used to. I choose where and when to do it. I don't let people do it for me. I don't let people force me and I don't care what people say. It's like internet trolls, right? So everybody acts like, it seems like everybody acts like if somebody thumbs down a video or something, they're a troll. If They say a comment that's not, jerking you off about how great your product is, they're a troll. That's not what makes them a troll. They just don't like your shit. That's gonna happen. Trolls are the ones that target you, go after you, say a bunch of random dumb stuff, or they pop up on a live chat they weren't supposed to get into and throw up stupid pictures or whatever. Those are trolls. They're idiots. Some people get off on doing that stuff fucking with people and trying to make them feel bad. I get that stuff. I just don't talk about it. And I just ignore it, laugh at it. Cause like if people challenge me professionally, I just laugh at them. Cause like like on this podcast, I'm a I'm literally a professional at this stuff. I get paid for it. I know what I'm doing. I have tons of experience. So when people challenge me on this or, or, tell me something just stupid, sometimes it's not even good enough to laugh at. Cause I'm like, who the fuck are you? I'm the one with the credentials and experience, you know, I just blow it off. And, uh, that's kind of how it plays out. Otherwise they're usually bigger idiots. that are like trolls. It doesn't happen all that often, but it happens. But I can tell you what, 10 years ago, that would have jacked me up. <clears throat> it's like social media in the way I use social media. It can be so negative. I use Facebook cause I just had it for a long time and did it for another project. And so I kept using it cause there's some few people on there. And then like Twitter, I was using mainly for news and information. That's actually not what I use anymore. I still have a lot of the stuff I follow and a few other things. I do do some kind of trending research and stuff on there, but people get really negative. I just started, you know, blocking people or, you know, I don't want really to see any more replies to this. I'm not getting baited into conversation. Sometimes I choose to have conversations with them until they back off or, you know, they just blow themselves up by making personal attacks or whatever. Some of it's experimental, but that's the thing too. Social media is jacking you up. Get off there. Delete it. Pause it. Block people. Whatever you got to do. Hardest thing to remember, those people that care about you. Sometimes, because I've done it. Sometimes they're so toxic, you got to cut them out. But don't run to that option for people that care about you just because you can't handle it. That's the thing. You need to understand if you're the one who can't handle it, that's when you need to seek professional help, figure out how to negotiate that situation. If you're handling things fine and they're not, that might be when you need to cut them off. It's just my advice, but I, you know, I got to talk to Pearl about it. The other thing too is I've lost lots of friends. Some through my own demasery. some of it because, I was putting them in impossible positions and neither one of us realized that you know people always like the military Thing I hate about the military at least the army when I was there you know if you need a ride call me I'm your commander oh you guys talk to me about anything people say that for years no you cannot do that do you know why they don't know how to handle it because either they struggle with themselves and, and they're feeling like they're getting drugged back down into it or they realize that you're really fucked up or they're not sure what's wrong with you and they're not trained in it they don't know what to do so they just they cut you off so be careful that Contacting old friends, it's like drunk dialing people. Contacting old friends when you're feeling really bad, same idea as drunk dialing, it's never going to go well. I don't know if this is even helpful. I just think the big takeaway is to understand it's not your fault no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how far into it you are. Laziness doesn't cause this stuff. Things happen to you. There's nothing wrong with you. There might be things you want to improve, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. There might be just something that you need professional help with or support. It might be that you're getting support in the wrong place. You're looking for it in a place that cannot provide it. You know, you're talking to somebody no matter who they are and things aren't working. That doesn't mean it's you. It might be them. Even if they're a pro, they might be the wrong mix. Might might be the wrong match. Some people are going to love those hotlines because they're anonymous. Some people want a more personal experience. Some people want to hide in the group. All those are fine options. Try them out. Try something. But like for the guy who contacted me, the thing was is you asked. So you're looking for something. You're trying for something. Something different, something new. Maybe it's your first time. And that's important. And more people need to answer those questions. Less people need to tell you something. No people should be telling you something wrong with you or that you're lazy because that's not the situation. It's realizing that there are different people that think they can do all this stuff themselves and muscle through it and then talk shit and people that actually got the help and realize you might have to work on a lot of stuff your whole life and be okay with that, which I am. There are days that are hard. I had some hard days recently. But overall, I have a good time. I will tell you this, though. One of the hardest things for me to do was to pick up old hobbies. Basically things I enjoyed to do, I wasn't doing anymore that either I gave up consciously or, you know, just kind of happened. When there's, there's things you wanted to do, there's things you used to like to do. There's something out there for you. At least one thing that you love doing that you just don't feel a desire to do anymore. Which is something noticeable to share with a counselor or somebody I used to desire to do that. I just don't find joy in it anymore. It's important to note that to somebody because they can help you with that. But here's the thing. One of the things I liked, really enjoy was photography. I got no joy out of it. I I would get, I just felt sad trying to read a book. I felt sad, stress, anxiety, depression. I felt all three. So instead what I did was, because the pros were telling me I really needed to try to do this stuff. I needed to figure out a way, and I did. I figured out how to do it by not doing it. Instead, I'd sit down, and there's times when you'd get negative thoughts in your head, and then they, they tell you a thing about trying to put positive thoughts in there, which never really worked for me, but then I realized, you know what? Why don't I just have positive thoughts, if I think about it, try to have a few positive thoughts for a minute or two, when there aren't negative ones there in the first place? So I picked photography, and I started thinking about things. Cameras I like. times I did it, pictures I remember doing, why I enjoyed it, things about it, what I'd wanted to do, other things that made me. There was times I remember just doing it for a couple of minutes and really feeling like my jaw or face hurt because I was smiling because I hadn't smiled in so long. Eventually that led to other things. It didn't happen every day or even every week, and eventually that led to me actually picking up a camera again. Part of the reason, if I'd never done that, I wouldn't even be doing this right now because I never would have been on YouTube. I never been doing any of that stuff. I wouldn't be taking these pictures and posting everywhere places I travel. I wouldn't be doing any of that stuff. And it's like camping. Camping's is the one thing I had to give up when I joined the military. I mean, arguably I was camping, but I wasn't. And it was the only thing I didn't do anymore that was kind of natural to life and wasn't for a negative reason. And God, I love doing it now. I'm doing it full time. About nine months out of the year, I'm traveling and camping, loving it. So when you don't find joy in things, there's something that made you happy that doesn't anymore. And you can't just put your hands to it. It's just too much. No problem. Sit down. Take a breath. Try remembering the things about it you liked, the situations, the people you are with. Whatever it was, eventually that will build up over time and help you and put you in a better place. that will give you more time at least, more time during the day you're in a positive frame of mind that's something that worked for me that may work for you. And here's the thing, there's a thousand techniques out there. But initially, steer clear of the people who are telling you it's your fault. Steer clear of the people telling you how easy it is. Telling you all you got to do is this. Shut the fuck up. Okay, it's mental health. Some of it's a lot of it's chemical. Just like science shows about how they create new neural pathways and things in your brain when you learn things, we think of that as a positive. That happens with things that are bad too. Those new things have to be created. The things that you do, sure. But they don't just happen because we want them to or because somebody says so. It's not how it works. Just like for all you vets out there, you've heard it or seen it in the military. I want it now. Try harder. You're disobeying orders because you didn't make it happen instantaneously when it just can't happen. Okay, it's not magic. Seems true with your brain. It's not magic up there. Don't worry about how much time it takes. I don't even like using phrases like day by day. I just, I ignored all that stuff. And I just sat down and did it. Said, and I didn't go, you know what? Today I'm going to do this. I didn't do that and plan my day. I just sat down and did it. So I had the thought that today I'm going to sit down and think about happy thoughts about photography. No problem. I sat down right there and did it. Because why not? Then I wouldn't forget. That's what I did. Worked for me. It's different for everybody. I Hopefully, there's one person I want this for or anything but i hope that there's something in here for everybody maybe there's something you can share a piece of it maybe not i'll try to put a good question in there in the show notes for the spotify listeners and i'll put a lot of that contact information in the show notes truthfully i didn't know where this was going to go there's a lot of things i wanted to say and a lot of stuff i said i didn't plan on saying i'm going to need some feedback on this one I don't really want to revisit it again unless I need to. But if this is something different, if you think this is helpful or it's helpful for you, share it however you can, even if you just send the link to one person. If it's helping you, then there's a potential that can help somebody else. So that means there's at least two of us. There could be three.